the GDPR is not the only data protection law that exists in the in the European Union. And one one area where the GDPR does not apply is the area covered by the uh, so-called law enforcement directive to processing of personal data by law enforcement authorities, which means police, prosecutor, criminal courts, prisons, when they carry out processing activities for those purposes, so for purposes of prevention, investigation, detection, and prosecution of criminal offenses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Business and Decision podcast. Today, we talk about data protection, and more specific to a less common known subject around data protection, and that is the Law Enforcement Directive. My name is Gerrit Tenayer, and I'll be your host in this podcast, where I'll dive into this subject with my guest of today, Juraj Seifert. Just for a quick introduction, Juraj is a doctoral candidate at the Vrije Universiteit Brussels and the University of Luxembourg. He currently carries out a joint research project in Netherlands, Belgium and Luxembourg called Making Transparent Invisible Surveillance. Welcome, Juraj. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank, thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here uh, and uh, I hope we can have a, a lively discussion today. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, for me, this is a new subject, I have to admit. Uh, I'm familiar, like I guess most of our listeners, uh, to what GDPR is. And many of our attendees and listeners, they, they do know and that they are implicated uh, into the GDPR uh, regulations. So um, first of all, maybe let's talk a little about about data protection, uh, what it is, and then more specifically, how uh, the law enforcement directive relates to GDPR, what it is and what it is not, so that our listeners at least have some high-level ID, uh, what it is and how it relates to their daily business or not. Oh. So, so first of all, um, GDPR, I guess everybody knows. How does the law enforcement directive uh, relates to that? You, you, uh, you asked uh, what is data protection. I think, uh, to put it simple, it's a democratization of privacy. So everyone is now entitled uh, uh, from the moment we have the, the specific fundamental right to data protection, which in EU happened in 2009. Uh, from that moment on, everyone has uh, the right to, to their personal data being protected. So it doesn't matter anymore whether it's impactful or not, whether you're a famous person or not, whether uh, it's, it's uh, uh, for the society important to protect your privacy or not the, the thing is that you have your personal data and you are entitled to uh, to them being protected and uh, this became uh, especially relevant with the you know the development in in the digital world and the entering of humanity into a digital era and uh, that's why this fundamental right became so so visible lately it it existed for a while we had some le legislation on data protection in eu since uh, 1995, but it wasn't so uh, visible and it wasn't actually so important or enforced properly. Uh, the big change then happened that everyone knows about this big change happened on 25th of May 2018 when the GDPR entered into application. What I wanted to, to explain to your audience today is that the GDPR is not the only uh, data protection law uh, that uh, exists in the in the European Union. Uh, it is a, a very important piece of legislation that has a lot of impact. It has a large scope of application, both material and territorial. 
but it doesn't apply to all data processing activities in the EU. And one, one area where the GDPR does not apply is the area covered by the uh, so-called law enforcement directive, or uh, as sometimes people refer to it, LED. Uh, law enforcement directive is uh, also an EU piece of legislation, so it applies in EU to processing of personal data by law enforcement authorities, which means police, prosecutor, uh, criminal courts, um, uh, prisons. So the, the, the traditional core law enforcement authorities uh, that are part of the criminal justice system and are in charge of criminal investigations and criminal proceedings, when they carry out processing activities for those purposes, so for purposes of prevention, investigation, detection, and prosecution of criminal offenses. So when they, when they do so, they need to apply the, the rules of the law enforcement directive and not the GDPR. And uh, you can already see in the name, there is a difference between the nature of the instrument, uh, GDPR, a regulation being directly applicable while the law enforcement directive, the I directive means that it has to be transposed in, in member states, uh, which means that eventually the law enforcement authorities apply the national law, which transposed the European law enforcement directive. So, so that, that's already one of the biggest uh, uh, differences, I guess, is between uh, GDPR and the uh, LED or the Law Enforcement Directive. It's, one is a regulation uh, imposed by the EU and directive. Uh, the Law Enforcement Directive means it, it's something that is written and that needs to be translated into a local uh, authority or by a local authority into a, a law, right? Yeah, basically because uh, the law enforcement uh, or the criminal justice system is an area which uh, where uh, member states of the EU have uh, still a lot of uh, uh, resentment to actually assign uh, legislating about those to the EU legislator. So they really like to keep this at a national level. And that's why I think that's one of the main reasons why this area is not regulated by, by regulation, but by a directive that the national legislators, so the national parliaments have to transpose transpose in, in national laws. So in practical terms, it means that in, for example, in, in Belgium, where we are, uh, you have the GDPR directly applicable for uh, any other administrative type of public sector processing and private sector, obviously, and it's directly applicable, but for the law enforcement authorities, uh, there is a Belgian law that transposes the European directive and uh, the law enforcement authorities on the ground, police officers, prosecutors, apply this Belgian national law, actually. And was it like with the GDPR, there was a certain date as, as of when this directive uh, went into uh, active states? And was it then across all European countries on the same date? Or was it uh, each country had a different time set and a different legislation uh, time frame, let's say, where the directive became a real law? The European legislator actually set the same deadline for entering into application of the GDPR and okay. the deadline for member states to transpose the law enforcement directive. So the deadline was in both cases May 2018. Uh, many European countries were late with transposition of the LED, but mm -hmm. in the end, all of them have transposed the LED uh, by, I would say, large majority by 2019. So I would say that the, the actual delay was about a year 
in in many countries there was no delay in in but the majority of countries we can say were a bit late uh, about a year late and then there were a few exceptions that were extremely late so they they were uh they were uh trans they were transposing the directive only in 2020 but that that was really more exceptional the point is that now uh and there is even one country that transposed it this year but now we have okay. <laughs> really um transposed it fully or everywhere in the eu and now we have to see uh so we are moving from looking at whether a country has transposed the directive or not to uh, mm -hmm. another phase where we have to actually verify whether this transposition was done correctly and whether these national rules okay. respect the spirit and the objectives of the law enforcement directive Maybe go back one step as well uh, in, in relation again to the GDPR uh, rules or regulations. Um, if you look at the GDPR, there's some common uh, definitions that are relevant to the legislation, which are like, you know, the, the concept of personal data, the processing, which you mentioned already before, the controller, the processor, the data subject, are, are they all named the same and are they all in the same context as uh, for the GDPR uh, regulations in regards to the directive of uh, law enforcement? Generally speaking, yes. I think uh, if you look at the text of the law enforcement directive, it is largely inspired by the GDPR. So the conceptually, uh, the no, the basic notions and the basic concepts are the same. Uh, the substantive rules of the law enforcement directive are, however, different in many areas because they are trying to take into account the specific nature of the law enforcement authorities and their and their activities. So uh, there are, uh, for example, the rules on data subject rights are completely, or I would say very different than the ones in the GDPR, even though the notion of data subject and a data subject right is the same. Uh, or the rules on international transfers of personal data are also quite different, even though the, the, the basic architecture and the basic concepts and the notions are the same. So, uh, as I said, uh, large, largely inspired by the GDPR, but different substantive rules taking into account the nature of law enforcement. So if, if I would uh, uh, look at it from a little higher perspective, you know, the, the things that are common on GDPR and, L and the law enforcement directives are basically the concept of protecting the data privacy, uh, where uh, the GDPR is more applicative to, uh, let's say, uh, corporates and, and enterprises, where LED is more about law enforcement organisms. So uh, lawyers, police forces, uh, and other people that are basically related to law enforcement. Is that correct? Would, would I make that an analogy that uh, LED is only applicable for law enforcement authorities and GDPR is only applicable for commercial activities? Or is it too easy to, to do that analogy? And is there like, you know, things that are related to each other uh, for yeah. both or separated? Yeah, I, I think uh, with, with all due respect, I think this is a bit of oversimplification of matters. <laughs> Sorry about uh, that. <laughs> I think that the GDPR, is, well, to, uh, to put it in simple terms, the GDPR applies to both public and private sector uh, except the the public sector is uh, engaged in law enforcement activities. So, uh, for example, a tax authority or custom authority 
or uh, any other uh, public authority that is not the law enforcement authority has to apply the GDPR as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we cannot exclude, we cannot say that GDPR applies only to, to, co to commercial activities. Okay. Uh, it, it's more other... about the data related to law enforcement, crime, etc. that is then only applicable for the LED. And if it's about data exchange in between law enforcement authorities. Exactly. The law enforcement directive scope should be interpreted narrowly, which is not the case always, but uh, we can go well into that if, if interesting. Uh, but it should be interpreted narrowly. So it means that uh, it applies from the moment data enters into a criminal justice system. For example, when uh, a police authority uh, is ordered by the prosecutor to start a criminal investigation, and then they start collecting personal data sets uh, in course of a criminal investigation. That's the moment when uh, the law enforcement directive becomes applicable. Uh, also, when uh, law, uh, when data sets are being exchanged between different police authorities, let's say uh, we are in, in Benelux, we have a, uh, a new treaty on Benelux police cooperation. That treaty um, uh, allows for a lot of data exchanges between Belgian, Dutch and uh, uh, Luxembourgish police and prosecutors. And uh, there, also for those exchanges of data, the law enforcement directive would apply. Uh, so uh, that is the, the sort of the narrow scope uh, of, of the directive in a nutshell. So, but we have to understand, well, it's not only in between the law enforcement authorities, but also the LED is implied or is, is, uh, is a directive that should be taken care of when police forces are acquiring data from third parties, from companies or from you know other type of sources that are not specifically law enforcement authorities. So if a police force asks to accompany certain information about a person, an entity or whatever, at that moment, people should also take in account the law enforcement directive and not only the GPR regulation. Exactly. And I think that's one of the most uh, interesting and legally most difficult uh, uh, concepts uh, that that we have to deal with in this uh, architecture of two different laws, uh, which is the transition of personal data from the realm of the GDPR to the realm of the LED. So how does data actually leaves the kingdom of the GDPR and enters the grand duchy of the law enforcement directive? Uh, that is that is a big question. And that, that, that's also a, a, a often quite a big difficulty for uh, companies that have to more and more cooperate with the law enforcement authorities, because that's also another trend that we have to highlight. Uh, law enforcement authorities are more and more relying on uh, so-called intelligence-led policing, which also which entails not only, but it entails accessing personal data that was originally generated or collected by uh, private entities, by companies for a completely different purpose, for a commercial purpose that has nothing to do with, with law enforcement. Uh, again, to, to, to give an example, a very simple example is when a, a telecom uh, collects uh, traffic and location data of its customers for its own purposes, such as billing, and then uh, comes a police with a warrant or a prosecutor with a warrant and says, I 
I think uh, uh, this person is a suspect in my investigation and I want uh, of this cell phone number, I want uh, traffic and location data. Uh, so it means where the mobile phone was in a certain period, uh, with whom the mobile phone had contacts with in a certain period. And I want this data. You, you, should, you should give it to me. And, so at uh, that moment, LED overrules basically GDPR because if you have a GDPR compliance, you cannot share some of the information or the content or it needs to be anonymized or grouped to a certain level. But that, at that moment, if you have the authorities asking for the information, it overrules the GDPR regulation. Uh, no, actually, the, that, that's where the difficulty lies in. Uh, at that moment, you have two sides of the coin. Uh, one coin on one side, you have the GDPR and on the other side, you have the LED. So the whole uh, the difficulty lies in how to make this coin uh, solid and that it doesn't fall apart. Uh, so it means that the company who receives such a request needs to, uh, uh, for the transmission of this data to the law enforcement authority, it needs to respect the GDPR. And how can it respect the GDPR and at the same time surrender the data to the law enforcement authority? It can do it only if there are uh, legal basis uh, in 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 uh, that are sufficiently clear and precise uh, that allow them to actually uh, surrender this data. Uh, it, it can do that only if there are uh, res there there the if there are, if there are possible restrictions to data subject rights that normally they should respect under the GDPR, which also should be necessary and proportionate and lay down in law and so on. So there are there there needs to be a legislative landscape allowing the companies to respect the GDPR at the same time as surrendering the data to the law enforcement authority. And when the law enforcement authority receives the data and starts doing something with that data, that's when the LED becomes applicable. So uh, so the, the collection of personal data by the law enforcement authority is covered by the LED, while the transmission of personal data by the company to the law enforcement authority is covered by the GDPR. And that's where uh, it might get difficult, especially for for companies, uh, uh, not only to understand to that, but also yeah. to, to actually comply with comply uh, all the requirements. Yeah. So, so you said that uh, legislation has to be in place. Does it mean that it is in place and is it in place for the entire EU today uh, as it's still a directive? And, and you said earlier that you know, some countries were later than the others, but they all today have the directive in place. But that's just a directive also. Was it then regulated now for having the legislation uh, okay for transmitting of that data in between the GDPR side of the story or the, the, the side of the coin and the LED side of the coin? Or are there still countries and, and, and situations where it's not fully covered? Uh, I would say that the data protection legislation, uh, which is about uh, uh, how you can do something, not about when you can do something with the data, uh, is more or less in place. But uh, the problem is, I think the, what is more problematic more is, or less. Is, is the data that is, uh, is, is, sorry, is the legislation that should be complementing the data protection legislation, which is about uh, not how, but when you can do something. So uh, okay. when you can actually surrender data to the law enforcement authorities, when you can restrict data subject rights, if you are a company, 
uh, and not inform them, uh, not inform data subjects that you have actually transmitted data to to the law enforcement authority, and and still not violate your obligations under the GDPR. So I think that is the the legislative part that is quite uh, uh, und underdeveloped uh, or. Uh, or the solutions in law are some simplified shortcuts that are not actually uh, sustainable on the long run and that can be challenged by uh, the ones who are, uh, you know, uh, watching over our fundamental rights and, and privacy and, and they have uh, 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 good arguments to do so, even if it means sometimes an abuse of privacy uh, rights by, by criminals, but... Uh, there, there needs to be a you know a, a solid legislation that that actually completes this this complex landscape in place. I have uh, just a thought cross my mind. One of the uh, regulations that or one of the things that that's part of the regulation of the GDPR regulation is the, the right to pro uh, forget. So you can ask a company to basically you know erase all traces of what you've been doing. And typically this is obviously used for marketing purposes where you do not want to get newsletters or emails from a company. And I think that's the most common known for that. But you know, in the sample you, you're giving uh, before, if there is a, uh, a telecommunication company that obviously keep trace of where you are, what you're doing, location data, geolocation, number of calls to whom you speak. Can I put in place, you know, if, if I would be uh, of bad spirits and I, I would be, I would have a criminal mindset could I then just apply my right to forget uh, to the GDPR regulations that I do not want to, you know, for you, Mr. Uh, Telecom, to keep track of whatever I do. So, you know, you basically protect yourself in this LED as well, that, that you know, your data cannot be transmitted to the law enforcement authorities. Uh, yeah, that, that's another big topic. I think uh, there is a lot of discussion about how long uh, the data sets that are held by commercial operators especially nowadays online operators, how long should those data sets be retained? Mm -hmm. uh, whether the companies should be obliged to retain data or not, uh, despite uh, those uh, rights, such as the right to erasure or the right to be forgotten. Uh, there are some solutions in place uh, for some types of data, but currently this is a, a big patchwork and it, it's very difficult to, to say what is the right retention period? What, what re which retention period actually respects uh, still the fundamental rights while meeting the, the potential law enforcement needs and so on? Uh, on the other hand, you have to, you have to know that uh, a society in which a law enforcement authority can always look back in the mirror to see what happened uh, is a sort of a black mirror concept, you know? So, uh, I don't think we should be too much in favor of obliging uh, commercial operators to retain data for long periods of time just in case if something happened so that the law enforcement authorities could check that because that, that is a, quite a dystopian concept. But of course, it can then lead to uh, this, this it's, it's about balancing. Of course, this can then lead to situations where someone might abuse the fact that uh, the, he has certain data subject rights or that the company uh, already deleted his or her data before the law enforcement authorities uh, uh, were requesting access to it. And, and that 
a request for access, would that then go to the processor or to the controller or to both? Uh, normally, uh, access requests go to controllers. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, th that's an interesting subject. There are a lot of prosecutors <laughs> who would like to be able to uh, access, uh, especially prosecutors, I would say less police forces, because police forces are, you know, they are used to work in a sandbox and they are used to uh, uh, being limited in, in their powers. But the prosecutors have a different mindset. They're more independent and they like to do things the way they think should be done. Uh, and uh, especially the prosecutors would like to be able to access the data directly from the processors. Uh, so there are there are some legislative developments that are going in that direction. But for the moment, they're, they're quite, they, their impact is quite limited. And uh, fortunately, this has still not become the rule. And I hope it won't. Because uh, it is very, very difficult for data controllers to be accountable and liable towards their customers uh, while not even knowing that the data of their customers has been accessed because the law enforcement authorities went directly to the prosecutor uh, sorry to the processor because the processor might be a big company or geographically closer or something like that so uh, I, I, uh, there is a tendency uh, of going into that direction, but it still did not happen. And I hope it won't because it, it will really um, create a lot of difficulties. Uh, uh, and, and I think it's quite, it's, I think it's also too intrusive to allow this actually. Yeah, I think that this is very relevant as well too. If you see where, you know, the, the, the three sectors or the three, I would say three pillars or three type of companies that are impacted those, those two type of questions and, and regulations, I guess, is, is one the telcos, uh, certainly for law enforcement, I think for law of police services, they are interested in to whom you're contacted at what time and what location you are. Uh, and, you know, as soon as you have a smartphone, basically everything is trackable and traceable. Uh, then you obviously have that same type of information in like, you know, the, the big companies like, like the Googles and the Facebooks of these worlds where you have a lot of traces and, and crumbs basically that you leave for whatever you do. And then there is the, let's say, the third pillar of, of uh, companies that acquire that type of information or any type of uh, information just to optimize their processes, to target you better, basically for their commercial operations, uh, which I think is a little bit different than, than the Facebooks and the Googles, although it's also for obviously their own commercial uh, operation, their commercial benefits, but the scale is a bit different. Um, so if you have a minute to, to talk about those three entities, how they would be implied to that. Uh, here you, you touched upon, uh, uh, I think, two, two issues. One is... Uh, uh, what what type of data is actually interesting for the law enforcement authorities and what is revealing and what is less revealing and what is more sensitive, what is less sensitive. Because uh, I'm, I'm saying this because traditionally uh, there, are, there are still people who try to argue that uh, the content data is the one that is the most revealing about the user and uh, that this is the most sensitive data that has to be the, the, the most protected. And uh, it, it should be super difficult to actually access or obtain this data by the law enforcement authorities. But uh, I think uh, in this argument, one, one important thing is being neglected. 
which is that also metadata uh, is very nowadays extremely revealing just by the, the the nature and the sheer volume of this data that you mentioned is being generated by all all three types of operators um, so if we say that metadata such as traffic and location data uh, but other types of metadata are are less uh, revealing and uh, it's less intrusive to access them and then we facilitate access by law enforcement authorities to such data we are again running into a, a jeopardy of our privacy and uh, and the data protection rights because actually nowadays you can make a lot of inferences and a lot of conclusions from metadata as well and i think the european courts were quite clear at least the luxembourg court so the court uh, court of justice of the european union was quite clear about this that we should not pretend that there is uh, some type of metadata which is less uh, revealing less intrusive and therefore should be the access should to it should be easier um uh, so uh, i mean the in content i could i could write an email to my mother with a recipe for some uh, you know a cake that i made yesterday so that content is is much less revealing than uh, metadata about whom I have actually written this email, where was where was I sitting when I was writing this email, uh, with which IP address have I been connected, and so on. Uh, which is more interesting, I guess, for most people, certainly exactly. for, for law enforcement. Yeah, Exactly, uh, that's the point. So we have to be careful uh, when, when we are regulating access of uh, data, uh, uh, held by all those three operators that we don't pretend that metadata is, is less uh, sensitive or, or less intrusive. Uh, then there is already a sort of a lost battle for privacy, I would say, when it comes to subs basic subscriber information. Their legislation already reached a consensus that this basic subscriber information is uh, the, the least sensitive, the least intrusive, and currently it is the easiest to get access to, which means that uh, if I'm a law enforcement authority and I have an IP address of a Facebook user, I can send it to Facebook and say, uh, and I can quite easily obtain the data about who is that user, you know? So the Facebook should, should provide me without many difficulties data that they have about this subscriber. And uh, uh, so that is already a, uh, something that is uh, there is a consensus that this data is uh, is the least sensitive and and the, the, the intrusion is small of course we can discuss whether that's true or not but it's it's the positivist view that that's the situation right now uh, when it comes to the nature of the companies i think uh, or the, the three different operators that you have described um, the telecoms are the ones that uh, have been traditionally uh, the most sought for uh, because there was all this data retention legislation in Europe uh, that was uh, introduced back in 2006 and, and there was a lot of voices around Europe that wanted this especially after the 9-11 attacks and then the attacks in Europe, Madrid and, and London so um, that, that that is something that they have dealt with for the last 20 years more or less it's a never-ending story, very complicated story, so we don't have time to go into this. 
but what is uh, more recent is the second group of companies. Uh, and uh, now the, the, the focus of the Europe, especially the European legislator is how to facilitate access to, to data that those companies uh, are holding and they might have been stored somewhere else. Uh, they might have not been in the EU at all, or we, or we don't really even know where they are because, you know, companies like Google or, or Microsoft, they have servers everywhere and cannot really say that, uh, my data is now in Sweden. So therefore you will go to the Swedish judge who will give you a warrant that you access the data that is on the server in Sweden, you know, that, that is something that is very delusional to, to think in this way right now. So, uh, those companies data are becoming and are already very, very interesting for law enforcement authorities. And there are, so there's a lot of legislative developments going into a direction of, um, uh, sort of deleting the boundaries. Uh, of the, the 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 classical territorial jurisdiction of law enforcement authorities and enabling the law enforcement authorities to access uh, those data wherever they are. And uh, that, of course, carries with itself a lot of other problems and a lot of difficulties uh, because uh, uh, the, the border, the boundaries of, of law enforcement jurisdictions uh, are there for a reason. So the question is, of course, if legislation is lagging a little bit behind reality. There is, uh, you know, legislations are typically Im implemented locally, even on a EU level. And so there's a, also a time delay. But then there is the reality where data, as you said, it, it's, it's stored. You know, you don't know where it's stored. It's only for the, yes. the big players in, in the world. Um, you don't know if, if your data is on one location or typically it's not. It's typically spread out into different locations. Uh, where then I think legislation uh, is even harder to apply. Yeah, exactly. And I think the difficulty in the, in that uh, sector is is actually linked with with the reciprocity factor. You know, because if we allow uh, 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 Belgian uh, prosecutors to directly access data from companies that have their seat abroad, and they store data abroad, which is the development we, we to, towards which we are heading to then it will be very difficult to argue that uh, without trying to, you know, discriminate anyone uh, in this in this world, but it will be very difficult to argue that a Turkish uh, police authority or prosecutor cannot access data that is being stored by a German company in, in Germany, even though it might be the data of a Turkish a journalist dissident who happened to escape in Germany, so uh, to Germany. So that is that is the biggest difficulty there. The the reality on the ground and the traditional concepts of criminal law that that are there for a reason. You know the this territorial boundaries of territorial jurisdiction of law enforcement authority was is there for a reason. So that that is the the, the biggest challenge I think for the second group of companies. And uh, the third group of companies uh, that you mentioned, uh, yeah, I don't know, actually, I would have to think about what, what, what would be the biggest challenge for them. Yeah, it doesn't come to my mind right now. 
Okay, because they, um, you know, any type of company today stores a lot of data about people, where they are, when they entered, you know, you know, for a retailer, for instance, um, when they go come to the shop, when they are there, what things they even bought, uh, so that there is a lot of information that is being stored. So I'm assuming at a certain point in time, if you certainly, if you go to the, look into the terrorism, I think it might be interesting to see uh, what uh, type of shops people have been frequenting what type of products they were buying to you know basically profile them and to take you know maybe precautionary steps or in in a where there is always something that went wrong to enforce the data and, and acquire it for doing uh research into the the uh, the law enforcement uh environment so police uh, absolutely you absolutely you're right i think profiling of uh, of a behavior of a person is more and more something that plugs in into the intelligence-led mm -hmm. uh, policing uh, for example, uh, the passenger name records, you know, these are the, the records that are collected by airlines about their passengers. And then they are being sent to police units, so-called passenger information units in the EU, uh, to the country where the airplane, uh, airplane is coming before the flight. And then these data are being uh, run uh, through a certain set of predetermined criteria. So there's already some sort of uh, let's call it primitive artificial yeah. intelligence or something it's more like ruling that. i guess yeah it's yeah. rule based more so then you have the you know the 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 alerts coming up when this predetermined criteria uh, show you that something is suspicious so for example uh, recently there were some mules that were captured uh, carrying cocaine in their stomachs uh, because there was an alert from the passenger name record that they have purchased a ticket uh, for cash and that the ticket was bought a few days before the, the flight for an extremely high price. So that was already something that alerted the, the yeah. system. And then the, the policeman carried, uh, devoted more attention to these people. Uh, so definitely profiling of, let's call it consumer behavior, is something that is more and more interesting for intelligence-led policing. Two more things that I would be interested in is, is again, as I said, you know, AI and computer vision, if there is any relation in, into, you know, the law enforcement directive and in, in how we would apply to the data that's acquired on computer vision. But I, I would assume it, it's all the same. You just have much more data. So you need more processing time, I guess. And maybe uh, to make it more concrete, uh, any examples you can give where the uh, LED, the law enforcement directive, was applied where it helped or did not help when you know, protected people or certain situations that, that are commonly known in the world today. Yeah, sure. So uh, definitely there will be more and more efforts. You see also with the AI Act that the European Commission ha has recently proposed, there will be more and more efforts to uh, deploy certain artificial intelligence and big data tools and, and, and enable to the law enforcement authorities. And then we will of course have to look into or the rules uh, of the led uh, how much they allow uh, and and where this sort of uh, uh, use of artificial intelligence has to stop uh, so we already started having these debates for example with uh, whether the the live facial recognition should be banned or not in public spaces and whether actually you can do live facial recognition in public spaces and still respect the law enforcement directive. Uh, probably you cannot, 
because you have rules in the law enforcement directive similar to the ones in the GDPR about uh, the ban on automated uh, individual decision making and profiling, uh, which which can be allowed only in exceptional circumstances. You have rules on processing of sensitive data, which also have a quite uh, uh, high threshold and uh, biometric data is sensitive data under the law enforcement directive like in the GDPR. So I think there will be more and more conflicts between the, the technological developments that law enforcement authorities would like to use and the strict rules of the law enforcement directive. So we'll see where this will take us. Well, I have the feeling that, that time flew by and we only scratched the surface on the subject. So uh, I probably could talk like another two hours with you on this because I think it's really interesting and it's certainly for me, it, it's, you know, it's something new. And there's a lot of things that are related into our daily operations uh, for our companies. You know, we are in a B2B2C business. So I think that many of our uh, customers are impacted. Maybe they're not aware of um, on this type of uh, regulation, or I should say directive. I should use the right word here uh, in, in what it can mean for them. And if they are confronted with a, a question uh, from a law enforcement authority, how they should act and, and what they should do. And any closure statement that you want to say or that you want to add to the podcast where you say, hey, this, you know, this is something that a takeaway that we should really should keep here uh, to make sure that people are aware uh, how it's impacting them and what is relevant for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say basically uh, to both to business decision and all your ecosystem that you have around you or your clients or your partners, etc., I would say that uh, if you develop uh, certain big data or AI or any other type of software solutions that may be used by the law enforcement authorities, you might get all sorts of requests uh, uh, and and uh, the law enforcement authorities, both the prosecutors and police, uh, often have in mind uh, uh, like, uh, like any other business, like what would be the easiest way for us to do something and how should we make our life easier? Um, but I think uh, this often entails also not taking into account the basic uh, data protection requirements that exist in, uh, uh, as I said, not only in the GDPR, but also in the LED. So I would say that if you want to develop something for, for law enforcement authorities, you can do so, uh, or you should do so while respecting the the rules of the LED, especially data protection by design, uh, purpose limitation principle, data subject rights, uh, uh, to carry out the proper data protection impact assessment, all these basic requirements should be uh, respected. And uh, so, so my message would be basically that uh, uh, don't just, uh, you know, try to find solutions that are the easiest solutions, uh, because uh, the point of safeguards and checks and balances in the criminal procedural law and uh, the fundamental rights that are applicable to the criminal proceedings is exactly that it's not the easiest way for law enforcement authorities to get to the end of the investigation that should be the, the most desirable one because you have to respect the rights of the defense, the equality of arms and all the other um, rights that any suspect has including data protection rights but not only so uh, it should never be the easiest way uh, to do things in this area of, of law enforcement but i think they, they there can still be solutions that are helpful and that in, uh, allow intelligence-led policing 
while respecting uh, fundamental rights uh, of those individuals affected, in particular, uh, the right to data protection, because currently that's the one that is the most endangered. Okay, super. Yeah, I think there is, uh, you said it perfectly, there is a big trade-off in, in automating things and making things easy for people to find and all the, you know, getting the right information on the right moment at the right person, you know, typically what all marketing and, and, and the commercial companies are trying to do. And the payoff is you share data that intentionally is maybe not uh, gathered or acquired for that purpose only, but at a certain point in time, it can be used by law authorities to do other things that maybe were not, you know, the initial source or the initial idea of doing that. So they, they get information that you maybe would not willing to share uh, to start off. So I think that that's, uh, that's a good one. Uh, we will put the uh, the links into some European legislations into the podcast. So if people are more interested in more specific and details in the law enforcement directive, they, they can find it. Maybe in relation to that as well, we have some white papers on uh, AI ethics. Uh, which somehow relates to that as well. So what do you do in AI? How do you apply that? What should, should you take care about? And certainly data and the type of data you want to share to be applied in, uh, in machine learning models. I think it's very important to take that in account. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I can only support what you said. And uh, again, uh, say thank you for, for having me. Uh, I think we should have more exchanges between academia and uh, private sector of this Absolutely. nature, uh, that is very important for for me uh, because uh, then I can understand better uh, what is actually happening on the ground and what are you doing, what are you developing and so on. And I think also for uh, the private sector, it's useful to learn something about, uh, you know, how the law should look like and how it should be interpreted. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, this is the first step in this and i think and you certainly uh will keep you on our radar uh follow you and and if there's any application or uh, situation where we think it might be uh touching the subject that we just discussed about we we'll certainly uh, reach out to you thank you Yurash, for uh spending the time with us uh it was very interesting and i think i'm i'm not the only one who learned a lot today uh, on this discussion on this podcast so thank you very much um i would say enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is it for this episode of our Business and Decision podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you like this podcast or are interested in a broad range of data and digital transformation related subjects, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel like SoundCloud, Apple or Spotify. Additionally, make sure you follow us on your social channels like LinkedIn or Twitter, or just visit our website. This is it for now. See you in our next podcast. Bye.